0: Good morning, as we're here looking again at uh, 1 Corinthians. By the way, I uh, forgot to mention we do have a new prayer list. It's on the back table there, unless you've already been given one. Take that with you. We're, in, um, we're going to be looking at the last part of the chapter that we've started two or three weeks ago, which is chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians. And even though chapter 4 that's coming up is kind of touching on this subject, we have kind of a uh, uh, conclusion in a way in, in the issue here that he's been talking about, uh, kind of summing it up a little bit. And so by the end of this chapter, he sums up the teaching that will hopefully help the Corinthians to see clearly that to be a Christian is to belong to Christ. And that's the the main idea. Um, It seems like there's a lot of other things that gets in the way or in the middle of that. We see it today, too. And they were struggling with it then. And he was trying to sort that out to get their priorities straight. Uh, Because, you know, I think the Bible says somewhere that Jesus is the preeminent one. He takes first place in the life of those that are his. And that's the position that uh, God has called him to. And certainly it is the idea that we should not forget so not that any man or group of men would be named before christ but christ only for he is their their lord which means what master or owner Uh, there's other definitions too that have been added through the years but master and owner why is he an owner because he's purchased the church with his blood. That's the concept of the ownership. Um, And he's their Christ, their Savior, their Redeemer, which the Redeemer portion had a lot more understanding amongst the Jews than it did the Gentiles at that time. But he is the head of all things for the church. That is the assembly called in his name by the will of Jesus' Father in heaven. Those facts are found in Acts 2.36 and Colossians 1, 18 and 19 are listed out there uh, very clearly. So if Jesus Christ is truly your head, then you are free indeed, as the scripture says. There's a real freedom in having the head the headship of you being Christ, apart, apart from any situation that you may have in this physical world. Because if you're alive in Christ, you are alive in spirit. And the thing that Paul is trying to get through with this is this is true wisdom. This is the wisdom that he wants the folks to have in the church in Corinth and everywhere else. I think we can say the same thing for ourselves. This is what we want. So, we're going to be talking about wisdom just as this, uh, the last half of this chapter opens in verse 18. Wisdom of the world. You know, Paul's always trying to compare the two, isn't he? God's wisdom demands wisdom. But unless we understand the, the difference, we're not going to be able to separate them. And we could be led astray by the wisdom of men, as we know very well. So what does he say in verse 18 through 20 deals with this? 18 through 20 in chapter 3. He starts out with this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone doth seem to be wise among you in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it hath been written, who is taking the wise in their craftiness? That's an Old Testament passage. And again, the Lord doth know the reasoning of the wise, that they are in vain. Now that Old Testament passage is in Proverbs 9, 9 10. We need to. That's, uh, you know, I think I'd rather have that verse on the Supreme Court instead of the Ten Commandments. I think it would serve a little better purpose uh, because you need to start somewhere, and that's a good place to start. This is the key to true wisdom. God has revealed it to man that we are without excuse in our folly, if that's where, where we're going. True wisdom. And you know, we all want to have true wisdom. We want to know the truth. We want to make decisions based on true uh, statements and, and true facts. So, let no one deceive himself, and this is possible. Uh, throughout the scripture, there's uh, even situations where someone has been led astray by a false teacher, and it's still, the, the issue was still there failing apart from the false teacher. They're failing. They had known the truth, and they changed their mind. Now whose fault's that? It's not God's fault. And I guess we could, I, I would say it's not even the false teacher's fault, because there's always going to be false teachers. It's because the true understanding, the wisdom that was needed there was not present with that person that's what we want to avoid if we can. Also, the world of men praise the idea of high learning or wisdom, knowledge, but hold as foolishness the things of God. And it's been that way from time immemorial. Thus, the understanding of God's ways makes one wise in the sight of God. And this is a choice we make. Are we going to follow the wisest men, learn their ways, praise their name, or are we going to learn the ways of God and praise his name? That's a decision that we each have to make. And uh, the choice seems obvious, but it's not always accomplished that way, is it? Then also the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And that's that's rather a condemning statement, isn't it? And it's all it's written Job chapter five. Job chapter five, verse thirteen and fourteen. Now this is Um, there's all, this circumstance has always been ar- around. God's aware of it. He wants us to know that he's aware of it. In other words, he knows the things that are going on. Um, and he understands the uh, error the of following man's ways. There's a passage, I think it's in Ezekiel, about God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now that's just something we're going to have to live with. And after a while it becomes much easier to live with that. I I want to be learning from one that their thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Their ways are better than my ways. That would seem obvious too. And yet we don't see it in every condition. So the the conclusion then of these words is the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise. But he ends up with the idea of that they are vain. The reasoning of the wise. I guess uh, we rely much and many times on Other people's wisdom and knowledge in certain avenues um, of many different things. uh, Maybe health or finances or uh, any sort of education. But many times when the the why question is asked, why this and why that, there's where men kind of let, let down a little bit because they don't really know the answer. Everything is speculation, or supposition. So when it is totally the the reasoning of men that are leading people around, then the idea that they are vain or without merit, which is what that really means, um, becomes very obvious. He continues with his thought, of course, because remember, he's, as Alex said in his meditation today, this idea of praising men and forgetting about the Lord uh, because he has preeminence is a dangerous place to be, especially for those in the church uh, that have obeyed the gospel. And many times we find this situation due to uh, ignorance of God's will, basically, do not glory in men is the idea here in verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 says, So then let no one glory in men, for all things are yours. Boy, those two, those two statements just, they, they just jump off the page to me. Do not glory in men, for all things are yours. Paul tells the church in Corinth, and we should be listening. That says a lot. That's a mouthful, as they say. In verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things about to be, all are yours. That is powerful. For worldly wisdom many times is in conflict with God's will and purpose. We just have to know that. Um, And when we notice, of course, if we know God's will, we're going to catch it when worldly wisdom comes into conflict with it. If we do not know God's ways, then these things will go on in our life without us really knowing. That's why the word, the word of God should be in the minds and hearts of all people. Because otherwise, how do we know what pleases God? How do we know the remedy for our circumstance? For all things are yours, it says. Kind of reminds me of a scripture in Romans uh, eight twenty eight Romans eight as to To his purpose. We know his purpose. We have a goal. If we do not know his purpose, we are stumbling in the dark. It's as simple as that. Let no one glory in men. And as hard as we try, it's very easy to glory in men. And the church was dealing with you know, the presence of the apostles was kind of an easy way to glory in men. They were bringing the word of life to people. And they should have been much appreciated for that and held in high esteem, but not in glory. They did not stand between the person involved and their salvation and their redemption Uh, and reconciliation back to God. No, that's the position of the Lord. That's God's way. No one glory in men, but boast only in the Lord Jesus, and I might add the kingdom of God, which is the home of the saints. There's a passage in John 10, verse 10, I think, Jesus came uh, that man may have life, in one way, it's translated in life more abundantly. To have life. And see, that's not the breathing in and out of air. And, and That's life. That's real life found in Christ. Real life that has no end. So they have life, not only life, but life more abundantly. Life more abundantly. young okay all right i believe that i believe that Uh, because the lord said it and he knows i came jesus came to destroy the work of satan in the world of men and that's just what he did more about that later not today so today note this or think about this ponder what religious body of men can grant the promises of the kingdom of God the Lord's assembly in this world none and I've looked at them I've read about them till I was Leary-eyed. None. And it's almost like, in some cases, they're not even trying to. Because there's another purpose or another goal or another situation they're dealing with. For in Christ, even physical death is not a hindrance to life the life that Jesus is talking about here. Death is not a hindrance. Read the Gospel of John, chapter 11, about Lazarus and what Jesus said to his sisters. Death is not a, a hindrance to real life, life in Christ. Because of his resurrection, we are made alive in resurrection as a as a noun, as an event, a state. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And if you're in Christ, you live in the resurrection. Think about it that way. Take a close look at the promises of men's religions that reject the headship, the headship of Jesus Christ. Now why do they do it? Why do they minimize it or or make it a figurehead, let's say. You can put it on your letterhead and then go about your own ways. Build your own clergy system, build your own leadership uh, situation uh, that is opposed to apostolic teaching for the church. When we look at them through the years, we find that all of these groups are fraught with troubles of all kinds. Scandals of all kinds. And worse probably, lies of all kinds. And, and that's troubling. But when you go down that path, you're going to have all of these issues. Verse 22 says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things about to be, All are yours. And I I think we need to really understand that. The last verse deals with uh, an issue that is little talked about or understood in the church or um, even dealt with, I think. But the idea of headship. Headship is the prerogative of God. God is the one that has set these things for people. And what's it say in verse 23? What's the apostle say after all of this? He says, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Why do you think he said that? You know, I'm intrigued by, by this subject because um when we read the first Corinthians chapter 11 just the third verse um, we we find You know, we can't mix up anything in that verse. It's just just laid out. Does it mean anything? Well, obviously it means something. This order is God-given. It cannot be changed. It cannot be argued, or it cannot be debated. I don't believe. How do you debate it? You look at it, and you ponder how it is, and how do we live within these... this understanding it's not really a circumstance it just has to be an understanding so are the things and so are exactly as this are the things for the assemblies of Christ as God sets these orders and these things in motion so the apostles through the will of Christ set the things for the assembly in the very exact way what was given is to remain it was given to men once for all as the as Jude says and um, and that was given through of course the Lord and his holy apostles and I would reemphasize they cannot be changed they cannot be argued and they cannot be debated if we if we do um, then we're going to be on, on our own, basically. So why do we see just just that? Why do we see such argument, debate, and, and stir in the pot, if you will, concerning the apostles' teaching? One of the issues is the fellowship issue. This is one that I've known since I was a boy. It, it was talked about a lot where somebody was disfellowshipped for, I don't know, uh, eating a sandwich in the church basement because that's not where you eat or something like that, Uh, or all sorts of things. I won't even get into the instrument issue, but the idea of fellowship. And then preachers everywhere would would be saying, Brother so-and-so, should we disfellowship this person for this or for that? And who are you talking about? You're always talking about the same people. Other Christians from your congregation or another congregation. People that you know or you should know that have obeyed the gospel. They're Christians. They have the promise of Christ in their life. And yet, because of one issue or another, the idea of disfellowship comes around. Um, you know, in 1 Corinthians, we're going to find an issue of disfellowship for a reason, a reason that's important. And then I believe in 2 Corinthians, we find that the person was restored to the congregation because they repented of those things and, and made amends, if you will. God's word And the things that call us to be Christians and then we obey, that is the terms of fellowship. We don't set the terms of fellowship. You know, we could say, you know, this person's always late to church. I think we'll just put them out. Because what, we're offended? Do we know the circumstances? No, we never know the circumstances. We never do. We don't know why. But, you know, these are the thoughts that come into people's minds. And to me, that is changing, arguing, or debating the things that are rock solid. And fellowship, uh, unless it falls under a certain category, and there are times when something needs to be done for some reason. Uh, But typically, this is not an issue. And it's dealt with one issue at a time, one, one position at a time. And these things are resolved, hopefully, without any sort of disfellowship, as we call it. So, to fully understand the issue of headship, I think, is to be a mature Christian, to really have it down, not be in any way offended by it, because, you know, I kind of grew up in a society where you advance yourself and. Uh, you know the whole thing everything around you is that no one has a thumb on you you are an island unto yourself and all of these things and you go forward that way (laughs) but is it true of a christian do we have a head do we have authority in our life of course we do God has said so and, he, and he's caused it to be written down so we can remember it day by day if we need to. I think it's our goal to fully understand this this idea along with all, so many other things. The apostle here in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and all through the chapters has given, trying to give the brethren everything they need to be successful, not only in daily living, but in the sight of God, which is the most important, in God's sight, what it is to be truly in good fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal of a Christian person. That was the goal of the apostles to show forth this is your, this is what you should be uh, dealing with on a daily, on a daily basis. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And I can't add to anything that's been said there in the scriptures. All right. Come to our time of uh, decision, consideration. the glory